0: hey everyone welcome back welcome to this new episode of let us sleep i'm your host Vishwadeep Banerjee. today's topic would be extremely interesting intriguing and trust me that if you manage to listen to this entire episode till the end today you will walk out with utter surprise and a profound sense of realization since you have never thought about this in your day-to-day work life. After hours and days of research, I finally can present to you now what I believe can break the norm and start a new journey for all employees and managers and leaders. So just sit back, plug in your earphones, and enjoy listening to this podcast. Now, there probably is absolutely no debate on the high level of awareness of this phrase, don't bring me problems, bring me solutions. If you have worked anywhere for a few years, or either you might have heard this from your own managers, or you might have seen other managers or leaders use this phrase. And if you yourself have been a manager or leader, chances are you might have used this phrase as well. Don't bring me problems, bring me solution. Now, if we just randomly pick a thousand employees across all levels from any organization and do a survey, whether you have heard this phrase from their managers at any point in their career, there are high chances that you will get a big yes from the majority. Even I can tell you now that in my 16 years of my career, I have heard this phrase so many times. I remember when I started my career in service desk back in 2006 at Wipro, pretty much all the team leads used to use this phrase. Don't bring me your problems, bring me solutions. Their managers also use this phrase every day. It was almost a part of leadership culture. Initially, I thought that maybe it's a culture of service desk, but when I moved to IBM from Wipro and I started managing data centers, IT operations and middlewares, I understood that it's unrelated to any industry. Rather, this phrase was an integral part of management world. My friends and colleagues who used to work for other companies like Adobe, TCS, Cognizant, um, Accenture, Infosys, and others also heard this in their respective companies. And as years went on, I also took on management and senior management roles. So it just kept on affirming my belief that this must be some kind of guru mantra written in some management bible. In the 20th century, we never had to debate or think much about this line, since some of the very successful CEOs and uh, organizations put this to practice and got some initial success. And I'll come to that part later on, on why I use the term initial success. However, once leaders started using this phrase often, all of a sudden, their whining and ever-complaining employees just vanished. Problems seems to have disappeared. A lot of you might be thinking that this guy is talking so much about this phrase, right? And he's telling that he himself is in management. So did he not use this himself on others? Uh, With a lot of humbleness and confidence and integrity, I can tell you that I have personally never used this line. Not because I knew the pros and cons of this line before. However, it just did not feel right to me. It was just not making much sense to me. Later on, I will definitely tell you why. Now, the instant vanishing of all the problems, once you use the phrase, however, was very short-lived since the result of this management approach caused a lot of tragic incidents and some even made very, very big global headlines. The root cause analysis post-investigation of all those tragic events revealed deep, seeded cultural problems of those organizations. It opened a fierce debate in the scientific community and management world whether this phrase has more drawbacks than bringing any good to any organization. Today, right now, I will first play the devil's advocate and I will focus on the pros of this phrase and then I will present you some of the evidences to prove that in 21st century, we probably have to say a goodbye to this highly used phrase in the management world. Don't bring me just problems, bring me a solution. And instead, replace this by, don't bring me silence, bring me problems. Let me now tell you guys that why we need this change. To understand this, we have to time travel back to 1980s when this phrase started getting steam. Margaret Thatcher, the longest-serving British Prime Minister of the 20th century, one of the most influential politicians in the 1980s. She used to say this phrase a lot, bring me solutions, not your problems. Now I cannot tell you with conviction that she was solely responsible for popularizing this phrase, since some of the research also connect this to some of the quotes made by Albert Einstein. But It is not today's topic, so I will not talk about it much. So we do not have to go in that direction at all for now. However, there are ample evidences to suggest that the usage of this phrase did influence many, especially sitting high on the corporate ladder and governments. One of the reasons this became very popular among managers was the fact that it serves couple of great purpose at the same time. Number one, it stops the culture of complaining And number two, it empowers people to do problem-solving themselves and activates thinking. I would stick my neck out and say that it does work for the first part. It actually helps managers and leaders to curb a culture of complaints. And as a result, it frees up their time to do more productive work or thinking. But as far as the second point is concerned, it can empower some employees and drive a bit of accountability a bit. In certain cases, it it definitely activates thinking. However, the problem is that it activates some other things as well, which we will discuss in a while. So just coming back, Margaret Thatcher, and then we talk about 20th century General Electric Company CEO, Mr. Jack Welch, 20th century CEO of the Coca-Cola Company, Mr. Roberto Goizvita, organizations like NASA, British Petroleum, GE, Coca-Cola, Enron, and others who were very fond of stopping the culture of complaining and be solution-oriented always. All of them tasted roaring success during their good times, during the 1980s and uh, 1990s. But it did not last long. And that's why I have used the word previously, initial success. As we go deeper into this episode, you will understand the impact it had on these organizations. Let's understand now that when you use the phrase, bring me solutions, not problems, what effect it has on people. Everything that goes up has to come down at one point in time. It is a law of nature. In India, our ancient wise saints and yogis always said and written about these. Even Isaac Newton understood it much later on with the very famous apple incident and his law also made it to the school books so everyone in the world now agrees that everything that goes up has to come down one day so that's why we always tell people around that do not become arrogant when you taste success Um, be humble and do better work so that when you go down one day people friends family will support you And more importantly, you should not repent on how foolishly you behaved when you were flying high. So the key thing is how you go down and, uh, what can you learn from that downfall and then come back up again. Margaret Thatcher's downfall also came one day and it came not because of any massive global issues, but due to a very trivial local issue. It was her unwillingness to consider others' opinions and refusal to back down on what seemed a relatively minor domestic issue. A new system of local taxation called the poll tax. Now, the poll tax, or what a lot of people term as community charge, was actually supposed to make local council finance fairer and more accountable. Everyone thought that the sale will be smooth. Instead, it triggered a civil disobedience movement and riots and a rebellion in her own conservative party. Shortly after, violent public protest erupted and her approval rating plummeted to 20%, the lowest in British history. She was forced to step down. From the BBC archives, we come to know that the local government minister, Michael Portillo, and Thatcher's environmental secretary, Chris Patton wanted to find a way effectively to abolish the poll tax, seeing the problems. However, Thatcher stayed put and eventually she was proved wrong. But interestingly, Portillo and Patton made their statements public much later, and we do not know whether Portillo or Patton really went all out to convince Thatcher during that moment of crisis to modify or abolish the poll tax, or they just decided to raise this point without the same force of conviction, since Margaret Thatcher's leadership style generally was close to an authoritative, and uh, she did not like to listen to problems only. However, the culture of no complaints, no problems, definitely did not help here. If only those problems were listened to, Margaret Thatcher downfall might not have been that ignominious. What we really need to focus on is what signal this phrase sent to the listener. Bring me solution. Do not bring me your problems. You can have all the good intentions behind the phrase. However, if the phrase is not sending the right signals to the listener, then even the good intentions can backfire. Not every employee has the brains to propose a solution. Not every employee has the authority to implement a solution. Not every employee has the same corporate experience to visualize a viable solution. Not every employee has the funding to implement a solution on their own. And most importantly, not every problem has a very easy solution. What a manager tells us is, don't bring me problems, bring me solution. But what an employee hears is, only raise those problems for which you have solutions, or else keep your mouth shut. Global CEO coach and TEDx speaker Sabrina Nawaz, in one of her Harvard articles, wrote, and I quote, The bring the solution approach can also cause employees to shut down in fear, breed a culture of intimidation, and prevent some problems from surfacing until their full blown crisis. But that's not all. According to Wharton School of University of Pennsylvania's professor and a brilliant organizational psychologist Adam Grant, solution-only thinking creates a culture of advocacy instead of culture of inquiry, where each person comes into a situation locked into their way of solving the problem and lobbies very hard for that particular solution rather than considering multiple perspectives. Now, if you are a manager or a leader listening to this podcast and especially if you have been using this phrase till now, then the above logic and statements might have sounded interesting to you. However, being in the management role myself, I know that nothing can convince you other than data and hard evidences, right? So I decided not to waste my time and your time by just writing an article, an opinion article, or talking about it in this podcast or making a video in the YouTube. I decided to do a comprehensive research on the subject and present to you all the hard evidences and real-world events to put a stamp on my conviction and that it's time to change. It's time to say, don't bring me silence, bring me your problems. Margaret Thatcher might be one small example and that too based on few assumptions but the real life events that you are going to listen next hopefully will force you to stop using this phrase in future or if you hear the phrase from your manager you will know which article or podcast or video you should tell that person to listen or watch or read now i can talk about lot many incidents right now but for the sake of time I selected three major events for you as hard evidences. Some of these events you might have already heard about or read about it somewhere. Uh, But for the rest of you, these events might be completely new set of information. You might have just heard about these events, but you do not know any details of why, how, and what actually happened. So are you guys ready? Sure you are. Let's get started with our three big impact stories. Let's talk about the first story, the first big impact, the rise and fall of Polaroid. Yes, you heard it right, Polaroid. You're thinking about instant camera right now, correct? I know. Yes, I'm talking about that particular Polaroid company. No introduction required for this company who gifted the word, our very first instant camera, an instant photo. I'm sure some of you who used to have these will still have a classic Polaroid camera hidden somewhere in your closets or storeroom. The nostalgia can be easily compared to Nokia phones. I'm sure you will remember those rock solid, compact, uh, heart punching Nokia phones. And even though we have traveled a lot since then, and the revolution of smartphones are even competing with the powerful machines. But still, we sometimes recall Nokia days. It's the same kind of feeling for people who used Polaroid. But do you know who was the man behind Polaroid? It was Edwin Land. The founder of Polaroid was the genius mind behind the invention. And he did not stop there. Did you know that Edwin Land amassed 535 patents just think about it 535 patents by one single person can you believe that this was more than any american before him other than the great thomas edison whom we all know as the inventor of electric light now although i know that many of you might be hearing about edwin land for the first time however let me ask you this have you heard about steve jobs now a lot of you are nodding your heads i know steve jobs apple computers iphone ipad ipod the genius steve jobs right for a lot of people in tech industry and even in leadership forums steve jobs is still an icon a hero but who was the hero of steve jobs whom did Steve Jobs used to idealize? Do you know? Polaroid's Edwin Land was the hero of Steve Jobs, and Jobs himself often used to publicly talk about him. However, even after so many inventions and innovations at Polaroid, the success of Edwin Land and Polaroid was very short-lived. There is no doubt that Edwin Land was a genius, but there is a difference between you being a genius and your entire company being a genius many studies by prominent psychologists and researchers have found a core cultural issue at polaroid and that was polaroid was unable to welcome dissent between 1948 and 1980 when camera industry was relatively stable polaroid's journey was very smooth but as the revenue kept growing The instant Polaroid cameras became a household name and proved to be a very popular item among celebrities. Polaroid sales even reached $400 million in the late 1960s. Now at that time, that amount was huge. Polaroid's competitor that time was Kodak and most often Polaroid was beating them to patents race. But Problems were visible when disruptions and competition started coming in. Digital revolution posed an important question. Will customers still prefer prints, or will they embrace digital photos? In 1980, land was approached by Sony founder, Akio Morita, who proposed a collaboration with Polaroid to create an electronic camera, which he envisioned as the future of photography. Edwin Land simply dismissed the proposal since it was contrary to his own beliefs that customers would always want prints in their hand and quality of chemically processed photos will always be superior to that of digitally processed one. Instead of welcoming critical opinions about his choice, Edwin Land surrounded himself with devoted followers who would support his perspective and say a yes to his plans. He marginalized everyone at Polaroid who questioned his projects. Worth mentioning though, that at that time he was working on instant movie camera called PolarVision. Also considering Edwin Land's reputation, the key decision makers at Polaroid also did not raise any alarms. It may be also because they did not have any foolproof solution to propose as an alternative. Polaroid's downfall began as the popularity of the digital media increased and competitors flocked the market. Things went so bad that even Polaroid got convinced about the future of digital photos. They finally came up with their own digital camera and launched it in 1996. They even created the best-in-class digital camera for which they got awarded for technical excellence. However, the product flopped as by that time more than 40 competitors were in the market it was too late for polaroid if only edwin land encouraged people to bring forth problems and disagreements polaroid still would have been one of the top players in camera industry as we are talking now polaroid is trying to rise back up again after two decades of low period and i wish them all the best With this, it's time to move on to our next big impact story. Number two on our list is Space Shuttle Columbia Disaster for NASA. Now, Columbia was the first space shuttle to fly in space. Its first flight took place in 1981 and it successfully completed 27 missions before the disaster happened. On its 20th flight, Columbia left Earth for the last time in January 2003. At the time, the shuttle program was focused on building the International Space Station. However, Columbia's final mission emphasized pure research. The seven-member crew, which included mission specialist Kalpana Chawla from India, performed around 80 experiments in life sciences, material sciences, and other matters before beginning their return to Earth's surface. On February 1, 2003, NASA's Space Shuttle Columbia broke up as it entered Earth's atmosphere, killing all the seven astronauts on board. NASA had to suspend all Space Shuttle flights for more than two years as the Internal Commission Columbia Accident Investigation Board investigated the root cause. The investigation board determined that during Columbia's launch a large piece of foam fell from the shuttle's external tank and breached the spacecraft's left wing, creating a hole. So when Columbia made its fiery re-entry into the Earth's atmosphere, that hole on the left wing allowed atmospheric gases to bleed into the shuttle, causing the disaster. The problem with foam had been known for years and NASA came under intense scrutiny in Congress and in the media for allowing the situation to continue. The bigger question was why this problem was not discussed and addressed. Was there no one who saw that foam fall? A day after Columbia took off, several people within NASA saw a mystery object floating in the orbit. Several people within NASA pushed to get some pictures of the breached wing in the orbit, but then NASA officials did not approve the usage of orbital spy cameras to get a closer look. On August 4, 2003, in an interview published on CBS News, one of NASA manager Linda Hamm, who dismissed the possibility during Columbia's flight that the shuttle had been seriously damaged by foam, defended her decisions And broke into tears she told the reporter and i quote nobody wanted to do any harm to anyone obviously nobody wants to hurt the crew these people are our friends they are our neighbors we run with them work out in the gym with them my husband is even an astronaut i don't believe anyone is at fault for this however in the same interview she also said And that is very interesting that she did not seek spy satellite pictures of the orbiting spaceship because even though engineers wanted pictures, none of them approached her about it during the 16-day flight. And she could not ascertain who was making the request. It wasn't until after the accident that she learned that some of the engineers who wanted the spy satellite pictures had taken part in her meetings but never spoke up. Why was this silence? Why did they not speak up, pushed more, and raise the necessary alarm as and when the problem was found? Renowned organizational psychologist David Hoffman is one of the world's prominent authorities on organizational culture building. His research post-Columbia disaster was instrumental in assessment and improvements of NASA's safety culture. His cultural survey was completed by every NASA employees. David Hoffman found that NASA's culture focused too much on solutions and thus created a culture of advocacy, which dampened the culture of inquiry. When people detected the mystery object in the orbit, they should have launched an inquiry immediately without thinking about the solutions. The inquiry would have proved that the hole, the foam cost and it could have been repaired on time, saving the lives of all the precious seven members on board. The Columbia mission was the second space shuttle disaster after Challenger, which saw catastrophic failure during the launch in 1986. The Columbia disaster directly led to the retirement of space shuttle fleet in 2011. All right, so let's now move into a third big impact story. Number three on the list is Deepwater Horizon Story, the largest marine oil spill in history caused by an April 20, 2010 explosion on the Deepwater Horizon oil rig, which was located in the Gulf of Mexico. The Deepwater Horizon rig was operated by the offshore oil drilling company TransOcean and leased by oil company British Petroleum. That day, the explosion killed 11 workers and caused 5 million barrels of black crude oil to start spewing into the Gulf of Mexico. It took five months to cap the well and created an environmental and financial disaster. The Deepwater Horizon event caused British Petroleum to pay 7.8 billion dollars in overall settlements and 17.6 billion dollars fine was imposed on British Petroleum for causing environmental violation. British Petroleum shares plummeted from 60 dollars to 27 dollars and for the next three years could not even recover. The obvious question is what caused the disaster? On the night of April 20th, A surge of natural gas blasted through a concrete core recently installed by a contractor in order to seal the well for later use. Once released by the fracture of the core, the natural gas traveled up the deep water's rig's riser to the platforms, where it ignited, killing 11 workers and injuring 17. Now, although this was a massive historical disaster, however, it was not the first time for British Petroleum. A similar incident had occurred on the BP-owned rig in the Caspian Sea in September 2008. The scale of disaster at that time did not make too much of headlines, though. The cultural study of British Petroleum suggests that BP always used to cut corners in order to stay on schedule and budget. If the solution of a problem seems to be expensive, that problem was not entertained at all at British Petroleum. According to OSHA, which stands for Occupational Safety and Health Administration, and according to OSHA records, three years prior to Deepwater Horizon incident, British Petroleum already had 760 willful safety violations. Safety suggestions from engineers on board were not listened to. There were clear safety concerns not only on the rig, but also among British Petroleum employees to speak up about the problems openly to officials because they did not have an easy and cheap solution to tackle those safety issues. Although in the court trials, British Petroleum admitted its role in the incident, but it was too late. Lives were lost and it caused an immense financial and environmental hazard. Well, now that we have spent so much of time discussing the problem and its repercussions, I'm just itching to continue this podcast and present you some tips on how you can tackle this issue and change the mindset of managers and leaders who use this phrase a lot. Don't bring me problems, bring me solutions. In other words, present you a solution to this problem. However, I realize that if I just do that, then I'll be doing a tremendous injustice to this podcast. So let me just stop here with only the problem without any solution. And let me invite you, all listeners, to comment below with your proposals on how to change this culture then. I hope you have liked this episode. I will never know unless you comment below. So please leave your comments and feedback. Also, please check out our YouTube channel, Let Us Lead, for videos that will make you think. Just go to YouTube, type in Let Us Lead in the YouTube search bar, and you should be able to find our channel with the Green Leaf logo. You can also join our Instagram profile named Let Us Lead Insta, which will soon be crossing over 10,000 followers. We're also growing with Facebook as well. So you can visit and follow our Facebook page, Let Us Lead FB, which just crossed 4,000 followers. If you are a reader, then you should check out our website, www.letuslead.net, where you will find plenty of my fascinating blogs and articles to read. So you see, we are just catching up. And with your support, Let Us Lead will become a potent force one day that will inspire people to take up leadership roles to change the world. I'll see you next time with yet another interesting episode. Till then, take care of yourself and goodbye. Let Us Lead for our next generation.